Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know many of you uh, probably just can't believe this, but one year in October, Stephanie and I were at the Great State Fair of Texas. Well, if you know Stephanie, you know that we are a lot of the time at the Great State Fair of Texas in October. This particular year, however, we learned that Oprah Winfrey and her best friend Gail were going to be at the State Fair. We were beside ourselves with excitement. And sure enough, we were standing there near Big Tex when we heard the crowd start to roar and we started running, running and running, so excited. And what we saw was a, a big SUV with blacked out windows driving by and we just waved like, like Oprah and Gail were looking right at us. As I hear this morning's gospel, and as I think about how faithful the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in his following of Jesus, I just have to wonder, what would happen if we were that excited about encountering Jesus? What might cause us to have that kind of energy about discovering the presence of the Holy One in our midst? Could it be, might it be, that these times we are living in right now can propel us forward, cause our hearts to seek the heart of God, reveal to us who Jesus really is, cause us to dedicate ourselves to discovering the Holy Spirit indwelling in the deepest places of our souls? And here, at the dawn of a new year, what better time to do this? With the air still full of resolutions and promises. And with this time of national and global turmoil, the air so full of tension and disorientation, what better time? What better time than the season of Epiphany to anticipate the light of God breaking into our world, into our lives? I think y'all know that at New Church, we have a Thursday evening gathering time. We've called it, uh, you know, prayer and conversation. We're, we're going to call it a Thursday evening Bible study. Last Thursday, we read this passage that Reverend Nan Baker read for us today. It was a rich conversation with all kinds of ideas flowing about. We talked about figs and fig trees, pondered what it meant that Jesus said, you will see greater things than these. One person wondered, why did Nathaniel say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We realized that 
The comment that Nathaniel was a man in which there was no deceit meant that he was perhaps childlike. Not childish, but childlike. And you know what Jesus said about children? That we have to become like them in order to gain heaven. And we landed on the fact that Jesus sees us. In Jesus we are known. Even after that rich conversation all week leading up to it and in the days afterwards, I, I pondered and I wondered and I couldn't land on what to preach about this morning. So in some of my readings, they encouraged us to take a look at the passage right before the one that we heard in the gospel reading today. It, it's the reading where John the Baptist is standing and, and Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says to those standing around that include Philip, look, there goes the Lamb of God. And the two disciples follow after him and Jesus turns and says to them, what are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. We've heard that before, haven't we? In our reading this morning. They came and saw where Jesus was, and they stayed the rest of the day. And then one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, who Andrew was the brother of Peter, and, and Simon Peter goes and finds Jesus, who looks at him and says, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which means rock. Now, two things of this story that precedes the story we heard, I want you to pay close attention to because I think it's very, very important. The two disciples heard John say, this is the Lamb of God, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus invites them to come and see. Now, what strikes me about this is that the disciples are in search of someone. They were intently in search of someone. They are seeking the Messiah, and the promise of the Messiah is that the Messiah will redeem Israel. Now, we don't really get this. I mean, this isn't really a huge part of our Christian culture. But the disciples that saw Jesus that day were in desperate search of the Messiah who it was predicted to be born among them. And why? Well, because their circumstances were horrible. They lived in a violent time. They lived in an occupied country. They lived under the thumb of empire. They lived with extreme poverty. It is estimated that nine of ten people in the country of Israel at that time lived at a subsistence level or below. Nine of ten. Women, children, the elderly, the disabled held no value. There was no middle class. They had high taxes and forced labor. So what did they have? They had their faith. And their faith told them that there would come to them a Messiah who would redeem Israel. So when John the Baptist says, pointing to Jesus, there is the Lamb of God, they perk up. Kind of like Stephanie and I did when we heard the crowd and ran to see Oprah and Gail. We perked right up. Well, unlike like us trying to see a celebrity, these disciples were looking for something, and they were looking for hope. And they were hoping 
for transformation, transformation of their lives and of their circumstances. They were looking for a new beginning. They were desperate for a new story. Now, I want you to think about our circumstances today. I don't think I'm mistaken in saying that we're desperate for hope, too. Isn't it true that we, too, are hoping for transformation of our lives and of our circumstances? That, of course, is everything and more that was being hoped for in the 1960s with the civil rights movement and the formation of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference of which the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was elected as president. That's what, what they were hoping for. But they also knew that that transformation was not gonna come without them. They knew that they had to be a part of that hope and bringing that hope and bringing that transformation. And King's call for nonviolent resistance Learn from the following of Jesus and his reading and understanding of the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi was transformative for many and frightening to others. Of course, when he began to also speak about the war in Vietnam and how wrong it was, that somehow crossed the line with people. And like the, his redeemer before him, Martin was executed. He was executed by the powers and principalities. He was executed by right-wing national supremacists in a power grab. Stephanie and I were talking this week as we were thinking about Martin Luther King and uh, we were watching what's going on in our nation's capital. And, and Stephanie said, you know, isn't it sad that we're back where we were 60 years ago? Well, I don't think either of us feel like we're that far back, but it feels so oppressive. And then I said, well, 60 years ago, how about 400 years? You know, for us white people, it is 60 years ago, but for our black siblings, it is much longer than that. With the first African slaves arriving on our continent, 400 years ago. And you, aren't you yearning, hoping, desperate for hope, hoping for a transformation? Don't you know that we need a new story? And I want to tell you, I believe that Jesus still calls us today to come and see to see the greater things. Now, I, I know we're in a difficult time and space. I mean, it's difficult when we look and see razor wire that covers our nation and state capitals and where climate change is decimating this island earth and where a pandemic is raging and, well, you know the rest. I don't need to list it for you. But listen to the words of the Pulitzer Prize-winning African-American poet Gwendolyn Brooks. In her poem, Martin Luther King, Jr., she writes, a man went forth with gifts. He was a prose poem. He was a tra tragic space. He was a warm music filled with grace. He tried to heal the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. His dream still wishes to anoint the barricades of faith and of control. His word still burns the center of the sun above the thousands 
and the hundred thousands, the word was justice. It was spoken. So it shall be spoken. And it shall be done. So it shall be spoken. So it shall be done. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. What are we searching for? What are we seeking? What are we coming to see? What is the new story you seek to embrace? Are you on a quest to encounter Jesus? As I pondered this scripture and and all that we talked about on Thursday evening, I landed here in this place that I'm going to share with you. There's, there's a moment of grace in this story that we can easily overlook. And on Thursday night, we just glanced at briefly. There is this moment when Nathaniel speaks to Jesus and asks, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. You see, do you see? The one who invited Nathaniel and Philip, Andrew and Peter to come and see, that one, the Lamb of God, the one about whom Moses and in the law and the prophets wrote about, the one Jesus, son of Nazareth, the child of God, the Redeemer, was and is and will be the author of our new story. Why? Because the one, that one, is the one who had already seen Nathaniel. It is and will be and was the one who has already seen us. Those disciples were invited to come and see the one who has already seen. Do you hear that? The one who has already seen them. And that meant that somehow they were seen, they were no longer invisible, they were known. And now they can ask, what did you see in us? And now we can ask, what did you see in us? You know, I'm a big fan of Father Richard Rohr, and in his daily devotionals this year, he's doing the unveiling, which means that he's teaching us about the things that have always been present but are now being unveiled in our time for us to see, to come and see. He introduced me to a book entitled Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. It's written by a Buddhist teacher by the name of Joanna Macy and her co-author, Chris Johnstone. In their book, they talk about the three stories of our time. The first of these stories is business as usual. The defining assumption is that there is little need to change the way we live. Economic growth is regarded as essential for prosperity, and the central plot is about getting ahead. The second story is the great unraveling and draws attention to the disasters that business as usual is taking us toward. It is an account backed by evidence of the collapse of the ecological and social systems of our world. The third story is held and embodied by those who know the first story is leading us to catastrophe and who refuse to let the second story have the last word. It involves the emergence of a new and creative human response. It is about the epic transition from an industrial society to an, to, of economic growth to a life-sustaining society committed to the healing and recovery of our world. This is called the great turning, and the central plot is finding and offering our gift of active hope. 
So what's yours? You know, there's a saying in the desert. The only sin in the desert is to know where the water is and not tell anyone. You and I know where the water is. We've known ever since we were washed in the waters of baptism. You and I know the story of the great turning in the depths of our souls. And how do we know? Because we are known by the one who has written the new, old, old story. So come and see, won't you? Come and see the one who has already seen you. Encounter the one who loves you beyond your imagination. Jan Richardson is a poet whose husband died suddenly. She said her world changed forever. The one that she had known and who known her the most was now living eternally. And out of that grief came this poem, known a blessing. And I think it speaks exactly to the scripture today. She writes, first we will need grace, then we will need courage. Also, we will need some strength. We will need to die a little to what we have always thought, what we have allowed ourselves to see of ourselves, what we have built our beliefs upon. We will need this and more. Then we will need to let it all go, to leave room enough for the astonishment that will come should we be given a glimpse of what the Holy One sees in seeing us, knows in knowing us, intricate and unbidden, no part of us foreign, no piece of us fashioned from other than love, desired, discerned, beheld entirely all our days. What is it you seek? Come and see. Amen.